Hello and welcome to another edition of Up In All Eyes. We're doing something different this week. We're just going to have a, a chat with the QPR manager, Mark Wilberton. It's myself, Paul Finney. And we're just going to talk about this season, what we think we've achieved, what we could achieve next season and how things are. First of all, Mark, how are you yourself? Are you keeping well? Yeah, good. Thanks, Paul. It was, it was pleasing, obviously, to get the win against Derby, albeit come very late. That was important for us. And we now got three massive games, which you, you, know, you obviously know about. But let's try and get the 72 points and let's see where it leaves us. Well, you do you think we've? I mean, I know we had the dip, and people had it got a wee bit toxic, didn't it? Let's be honest. I mean, I, I don't know how much social media you read. Do you think we were victims of our own success to a certain degree? Yeah, I mean, listen, you get these social media platforms, probably end up blocking more than enough people. Simple as that, because you see one abusive text after another, you just block them off. So you don't read all that nonsense. But but I think we we were in the top six for so long, uh, and suddenly we were near automatic. That then the playoffs seemed as the least we can do. Now, at the start mm-hmm. of this season, I think playoffs, with a budget remains 14th, 15th, but we had a squad kept together, finished the season strongly. We had to push to finish higher than last year. Mm-hmm. Um, to do that, Paul, then the playoffs become a real target for us. Uh, and we're still going for that target. But I, I just think, as you rightly say, football, expectation, hopes, everything else, and suddenly, anything less than the playoffs is a, is a major, major down blow for the club. And what about the players? How, how have they seen the season, do you think? I mean, you were coming every day. I mean, were they surprised and are they now slightly downbeat? Or are they still thinking, do you know what, we can still do this? And are you thinking that? No, they're still thinking that. They still know that we've, we've, we've had a really tough one, Paul. There's no mask in it. We let ourselves down in, in games. Peterborough, you know, you look at these types of games where Cardiff City at home, vital points were dropped. Um, but it's part of developing. It's how players learn and you come through that. And as I say, we, we hope that we can win these three games, three tough games, but we hope we can be good enough to go and win these games. Give us 72 points. It might be enough. Teams are all playing each other. You know, teams are dropping points. We've seen that the weekend results. So the belief of the players is still there. They're a really good group, Paul. And sometimes a manager will say to, to like someone like yourself and a fans platform and say they're a good group of boys, but they genuinely are. They, their, their, their camaraderie, their team spirit, the role of the senior players, how good they've been. The likes of Steph, obviously, Lee, Chaz, Albert, these guys have been outstanding. So the group is good. The group, the belief is there. Paul, we have to go and deliver performances now. And the thing is, this season, I mean, you've seen the emergence of to be done. We've seen Albert Adolma turn into a 21-year-old again. And things like that. you can tell that they care. You can tell that they turned the corner. I mean, are you happy with how the transfer has been done this season. And for those who don't know, can you explain how the transfer system works at QPR with yourself, director of football, Lee Hughes? Because I, I don't know how it works. So no, we have obviously Les is director of football and oversees all the departments and, and uh, Andy Belk is head of recruitment and the, the meetings, Lee is CEO. We look from the finance perspective, what available spend we have working with the, the finance department. So that all, the, all the, the, the various angles speak together, Paul, um, and then we look at what we need. So what are the player, you know, from a coaching department, what are the player profiles? If you're looking, for example, at a right back stroke, right wing back, what are the attributes you're looking for? Physically, technically, tactically, mentally, what are you looking for out of that player? Then once those profiles are known, the recruitment department will go and try and target three, four, five, six players that fit that criteria. 
uh, and then we start to look at them and gauge them and the availability and what might they cost and you know sometimes you can a fan will say we go and get him he's on 25 grand a week and he wants 30 on his next move it's never going to happen we can't afford those level of players so it's about the communication Paul and it's about using the market wisely it's about making sure if you can access the low market cleverly for one or two players absolutely look at look at around the league look at how they do that Paul so again the contacts are key with the likes of Chelsea and Man City and United Liverpool the big clubs Tottenham of course Arsenal all those clubs is vitally important. It's our own academy. Are there players coming through who are ready now to impact first team or will benefit from being dipped in? Um, and then what players fit the profiles, Paul? It's a lot of communication and it's making sure that process works smoothly. I mean, the thing is as well, Mark, you've, you've actually, I love people, you know, when you read up and things, you, you find out more sometimes on Wikipedia than you know from what you, you say. It's like your obviously development was you outside of football, first of all, then you went into it, it's all you football. Has it changed so much that it's so difficult now for kids to go from the youth team on the 23 first team? Or are people actually now saying you've literally got to go youth team first team and bypass the other 23s? There's, there's, a, there's two parts of that question in my mind, Paul. Firstly, now, the way the EPPP has come about, the, the very best young talents in the country are scouted from a ridiculously early age. So, you know, you look at clubs, why they close their academies, because the best 12, 13, 14-year-olds are taken for set compensation mm -hmm. figures. And you can sit there and say, I'm investing in the academy to try and get these one or two diamonds to come through and bang, they're gone. Uh, and you wonder, what's the point? Now, you know, like in the likes of why Brentford just had the B team, for that very reason, you know, Matthew could see that the, the best young talents were being taken. That side of it is there. When we were, a few years ago, we did this tournament called the Next Gen Series because it was so hard for players to make that transition, Paul, from promising young youth performer to regular first-team performer. That gap was just too big a jump. You know, the old reserve team, combination football, as you remember, at the stadiums, under lights. We missed that. We missed that competitive nature. And the next-gen series filled that. And that's why you see the very best players go into these clubs. If you go into Chelsea, if you go into Man City, they get great experience, fantastic tours, you know, play against the best clubs in the world, and you, you come up against the likes of the Suarez, that type of player, you know, the young mm. South American player. It can't be right that the first time you come up against those type of players, Paul, is in the first team. You've got to be used to playing against those type of stocky, clever ball players. And the Atletico Madrid, you saw their antics. And these are top-class players, but they, they approach the game in a different way. And the boys at those bigger clubs get access to that type of education our boys don't. So it's so very, very hard because as a first team manager, you sit there and say, right, do I take a chance on waiting 18 months for that boy to come through? Or do I take that loan from ex Premier League club? You know, it's going to cost me relatively cheap, but I know he's, he's a proven performer. And that's the hard part for the young kids coming through now. And then I suppose when you then, a lot of people like Brentford are still using the system they've got and now they're in the Premier League, you know, and they're going to keep using that because obviously they believe in it. But uh, it, it's a shame, though, from, from a personal point of view, because I've always loved watching new football. I've always loved seeing the results, seeing kids come through, making that grade. But it's so hard. And it's, I don't think people understand how difficult it is as well and, and the role that fans can play in bringing a player through. Because you see it and I see it. You, a, a player's topped up, he comes in the first team, makes two or three errors, and some people are on his back straight away. Yeah. Do, you, do you think that's another side of football that's changed so much in the last few years that players have to be the full Monty straight away? They don't get a chance to learn to trade? 
Yeah, I think we all, you know, my background, as you, as you rightly said, Paul, that's my background. I love watching the kids come through the academy. You know, I'm mm. very lucky to have a group of boys to come to Watford and watch them go through. A number of them, you know, go into football league careers. And I played up at that big game, Rangers Celtic game. I had Don Ball come through. I had Rob Keenan, who had for a number of years at Watford, come through, playing these games. It's great. Lee Hodson, great to see these young guys come through and get into established careers. But it is so very difficult because the demand of the fans now, I think social media has got a huge, yeah, a huge price to pay. I think many negative aspects to it, Paul. You mentioned the flack and the abuse. That's fine. That's part and parcel. But I think for the young players, it's not managing coaches. The players get the abuse. And when these young guys are trying to come through, it's, it's, a, it's a tough learning curve. Um, and as you say, you go on, you go on the stadium, Camping Stadium, in front of QPR fans, any club up and down the country, of course you want to see the homegrown talents come through. But I think patience is a lot shorter now because results, it's all the results-driven industry. Look at the rewards on offer to QPR if you get out of the championship. You know, mm. 150, 160, whatever the figure, absurd figure may be now, Paul, it's money which changes the whole complexity of a club. The whole dynamic of a club changes by promotion. And there's so much on reward now that the, the stakes are so high that the, the patience of the young players, I think, is wearing very thin. Which brings you on to the next sort of thing where... I know we said we've overachieved and the squad is so low down and people will say, rightly, wrongly, well, what about Millwall? What about Luton? They're also chasing the playoffs. But then you look at Bournemouth and Fulham, who have spent the most, and they're going to be the two that, that, that leave the league. So money dictates, doesn't it, whether we like it or not. And I guess for a lot of QPR fans, I would. it's, it's a hard one. Do you, do, do you try and do what we're doing now and, and, and compete and go for it and without risking the future of the club? Or do you just go for it, spend loads of money and then leave yourself exposed if it should go wrong? Do you know what I mean? It's a, yeah. it's a really tough one. I think it is, but I think uh, I've, I've got a finance background, Paul. You run your own business. So, you know, Badly. when when, <laughs> when you start reading about clubs who spend £2.20 for every pound of income, you know the game's in dangerous, dangerous territory. Now, the passion for a club, and I'm sure the motivation, many, many owners have gone, you know, or bust to go for it. You can't have that approach. I'm, I'm, I'm watching loss figures come out. £37 million loss, £54 million loss, £22 million loss. You're allowed to lose £39 million over a three-year period rolling. And yet these numbers are coming out. So the problem is, if clubs aren't suitably punished, I don't want clubs punished. You don't want to see a club like Derby County with its infrastructure and fan base and history and tradition. You don't want to see those clubs suffer. And the players, the supporters, definitely not. But the fact is, until these clubs are consistently punished, Paul, it's going to keep on happening. And the clubs, therefore, that do it right, do it and act in an appropriate manner, professional manner, and, and, and act within their means, are going to pay the price for it. Because as you look, look at it, you know, you look at some of the lost figures coming out. It's not for me to name clubs, Paul, but some of these numbers are, are shocking. And how does the game survive? And the clubs mean so much. I sound like an old man now, Paul, but the clubs mean so much to the communities. The, the club mm. should be the heartbeat of the community. I always said that. An old, very wise man said to me, never forget the football club's the heartbeat of the community. He was so right. And it really is. And when you see these, the heartbeat put at risk by the financial actions of, of certain people, it cannot be right. But until that punishment is uniform and consistent across the board, it's going to keep on happening. Well, I mean, I, I know you can't name clubs, but I can. I've, I've often wondered why someone like, Forest have never been done. Yeah, we have got done, but yet they seem to be breaking the FFP. Derby, totally agree with you. It's not the fans' fault. 
it's this is on Mel Morris and the owners. This is not on the fans. I'm just wondering why we got done and they didn't because I, to me the whole thing's a mystery about you know parachute payments, wages. How do you understand the FFP and what's QPR's structure within it? No, I think I think Lee and the board deserve a lot of credit for the fact that, as you say, the club were fined heavily before. Um, that that was long before my time, Paul. But you, as a fan, know what went on there, mm. um, and still paying the price. And Lee and the, Lee and the team have, have have worked tirelessly to build strong financial foundations for QPR now. And it would be easy, fans say, go and buy a ten million pound striker, go and put the guy on forty grand a week, go and do A, B, and C. But the fact is. The club could be at risk by doing that. Uh, and do you do you do that? Do you adopt that gung ho approach, or do you say no? It's about the long term welfare of the club, and the fans, the genuine fans, will stick with us whether we win the championship, whether we get relegated, whether in League One, will the fans stick with us? But I, I understand the financial prudence, I really do, and I think Lee and the board deserve a lot of credit for that because it's not easy. It's not easy resisting that gung ho approach. Many, many are doing it. Um, as you say, quite rightly, credit to the likes of Luton and Coventry and Huddersfield. But we're all tight there. Look at the league table. We're all tight. You know, we, we went above Luton when we beat them recently and we've had a tough run. And But we've still got points to get to 72 points. Now, I'm changing the subject slightly, Paul. But if you get That's to 72, right. we've beaten last year's, target, uh, last year's um, total by four points. Hopefully finished higher. We keep moving in the right direction. And, and I think that's what fans need to see. To go out and blow your money and hope you get up there. Look how many teams have done that. I, you know, Derby play QPR. I, I, I commentate on that game. Let's be fair. Derby with a better team on the day by, by a long way. Bobby Zamora steps out, however, and scores in the eight, last minute of the game and, and history, the history is, is there for all to see, Paul. But you spend, they spent so much money, these teams, trying to get to the land of milk and honey. And if you just fall short of the last hurdle, what do you do? Do you keep on mm. investing? Do you keep throwing 25, 30, 40 million at it? Or do you put your hands up and say, we can't afford to pay our bills now? And, and to see, a, as I repeat myself, but a club like Derby in League One with their stadium, their infrastructure, their fan base, etc. It, it's sorry for football to see that, Paul. But it's also, to be honest with you, they could do a loop um, quite easily um, because if they get another points deduction, it's just, it worries me a lot. And I know it's not, this is not about QPR, but it's the structure of the Football League. You know, you see teams chasing it. Portsmouth way spent above what they could afford for many years to stay in it and, and buying players. You know, you're thinking breathtaking. QPR, for example, I can't talk about my club. With, with two World Cup goalkeepers, and I'm like thinking, this is madness. You know, we shouldn't be doing this. And I look at the players we've got now and I think, I want that kind of QPR. I want that kind of structure because... Whatever happens, if we finish 10th or we finish 6th, we're here next season. You know, poor old Derby and, and people like that. I know people, Derby will say, oh, was it, we started it by beating in the playoffs, but it's their owners. It's nothing to do with QPR or any other team that beats them. It's their owners and how they try to get around it, Mark. You know you know that as well as I do. No, you're right, Paul. And, and that's that's the whole point. It's how you get there. So if we, if we finish 10th or we get in the playoffs or we finish higher than last year and, and a fan sees progress being made within a financial boundary, then I think the fans have got to be happy with that. And it's not negative, it's not lacking desire or ambition anyway, but the club is being run financially appropriately, put it that way. Uh, and that, that gung-ho approach, I refer to that, Paul, I keep hearing this, go for it, go and do this, go and do that. I know, I'm watching, every time I see these lost figures come out, I think, how does the game survive? How do the clubs, we can't keep on seeing clubs announce these type of figures and think that 
the passion and emotion of the game will see us through. It, no. it won't. It won't. If you ran your business that way, Paul, you'd last two, you'd last two minutes. No, uh, no. And yet, as I say, I just I worry because I know what it means when you're up in Glasgow, clubs like Rangers and Celtic. It's a level of passion. It means so much to so many, so many millions of people globally. And you think that if they run poorly, what's the impact on the communities? It's massive, Paul. Absolutely massive. And the responsibility, I think, of of course, the manager should come in and leave the club, hopefully in a better place than it was before he arrived. But I think I'm sure the board see that as a far bigger responsibility. To they look after the club, they don't own the club. They look, they take care of the club while it's in their you know it's in their control, and they've got to hand it over at the appropriate time in a better state. And if if owners can do that, the game will be in a fine in a, in a you know in, in a good condition, Paul. But I don't think that's the case in many many examples. Well, so when you came to QPR to where you are now, have the did the board set out a plan at the start of the season? Say, wait, right, we want this, we want that, and then should we do better or worse? Does that change come January when that transfer window mm. opens? Is that is it generally transfer window that kind of like go for it or save save more money but try and go for it? I mean, what happened this season? Because we're obviously we're in the top six. Did you then say to the board, I want to bring in a striker, I want to bring in this, I want to bring in that? And they're like, oh no, we'd rather just keep it simple. No, no, at all. We got the back in, we looked at it, we we're in a good position, Paul. How do we go forward um, and give it a go within the financial constraints? And that's that's the key. Uh, mm. And as a manager, that's made very clear to you. You know, we can't, we're not going to go out and spend £10 million on that strike. And supporters will always say, go and get this guy, go and buy him, go and buy him. Paul, you blow your budget out of the water if you do that. And you kind of all that work being done by Lee and his team to get it all on side and then just to blow it in one, you know, what happens if you do that and, and the player gets injured? You know, mm-hmm. you put all your eggs in one basket and the boy does his ACL on the first day of training. That happens. You know, that, that happens. There's no doubt that happens. So, I think that financial prudence, financial responsibility is very important. It's not a lack of ambition, a lack of desire. It's just trying to work within the parameters and, and hopefully, as I say, galvanise. We can have one or two shrewd additions, use a low market for a player potentially. If that's on the cards, Paul, then you have to do what you can do. And since you've been at Rangers, have you seen the progression of things going towards a new training ground? Is that exciting? Is that going to be better for to bring players to the club, to bring players on? Oh, absolutely. People talk about the stadium. Of course, you want a new, you know, everyone talks about a new stadium and what it brings in terms of daily revenue, for, you know, for using the complex. But the players every day go to work at the training ground. And that's how you, you know, why do Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea see, make these magnificent world-class training facilities? It's how you attract the players. When you've got five, six top Premier League clubs going in for the same Spanish boy, for example, you know, where do they go to work every day? And the quality of the pitches, the quality of the environment is massively important. So I was lucky enough to go and have a look at the new, the new training ground. Obviously, a lot of work still to be done, but the pitches are starting to go down and be laid, etc. And you start to see the first shoots coming through. And that would be a huge step forward for the club, a massive step forward for the club. So, you know, I, I know it's been a long time coming, but it's, it's a huge leap in the right direction, Paul. It all sounds... The thing is, that this is the sort of time when everyone's looking forward to it. I mean... I'm a little bit surprised. Um, I'm not going to lie to you that we haven't re-signed more players. It's, it's, it's it seems a little bit, I don't know, weird because I would have thought that someone, other lads that are out of contract, Barbet and so on, would have been re-signed by now. Is is there something going on that we don't know about? Um, is it still in progress? What's happening there? No, I don't think I'm breaking any confidentiality here, Paul. And just saying that it was made clear um, by the board that 
contracts will be reviewed at the end of the season. Um, and the good news is that word consistent. If you started breaking that and, and started offering one and not the other, then you'd have absolute turmoil in the dressing room. Um, but as it stands, now as I say, that, that hasn't changed. So, of course, you run a risk. Yeah, the owners know that. I know that. Les knows that. You run the risk that from January onwards, they can negotiate contracts away. Um, and that's part and parcel of football. But um, the good thing is it's been maintained consistent throughout. So, hopefully, you know what I think of certain players. I've been very vocal in the press in, a, in, a, in the right way about the likes of Yohan playing every minute of every game, really, throughout 2021, which is a magnificent achievement. And to play every minute last season for a centre-half, Fantastic. You know, him, Rob Dickey, the amount of football they play, first class. Um, so, I, you know, what, what I think of them is, is very evident, Paul, but that's beyond my control. And as I said, at the end of the season, I think decisions will be made and, and offers put out if they think it's appropriate. But it must be frustrating, though. I mean, I'm talking that this is from, from my point of view as a fan, not yours, because obviously you know the inside out, but it, it'd be so frustrating for me to see someone come in and, and take some players off our hands for free because you're then thinking, Christ, for someone like yourself, you're going to have to restart again and you, the whole process has to start. You're going to find another A, B or C player. Is that is that frustrating or is that just, you know what, that's that's what we, we know when we take the job on? Yeah, I think I'll, I'll be honest. As I say, I'm never, I've got to be conscious. I've not broken any confidence here. But of course you get frustrated because you watch some players, you work with some players and you know the attributes that they have and the development that's still to come from them. You know what they bring to the club. I mentioned to you earlier about the quality of a dressing room. Um, so someone like Dom Ball, someone like Dom has probably suffered through the emergence of a Sam Field, for example. Sam has come back and probably performed way above his own expectation after his injury and surgery. Uh, and, and Dom has probably paid the price for someone like Sam playing so you know, exceptionally well. But within the dressing room, what an outstanding character. What an outstanding young okay. professional. You know, how he works hard every day. He'll always give you his all. The fans see that. Fans love that. But when you lose those type of characters, Paul, if you lose those type of characters, they're not easy to replace. You know, and you, mm. you know, I think QPR has, in the past has had some tough characters in the dressing room and made it very, very difficult. Um, so when we have a really high quality dressing room now and the environment is good, of course you're keen as a manager and coach to, to maintain that as best you possibly can. Um, on, on how do you think the club can go? For, I mean, this is the most obvious question. I'm just going to ask you this, Mark. So, I don't mind if you go into PR mode here and go into media <laughs> trading mode, but what is, what should our ambition be next season and what should our highest expectation be, do you think, next season? I think it's all about teams that keep building. Um, you, you kept our players last year, Paul. We could have lost, for example, Senny. We could have lost maybe a Rob Dickey or mm. those type of players. Now, you've added the likes of Chrissy Willock. Do you keep an Ilias chair? If suddenly you're looking at Chrissy Willock, Ilias Chair, Rob Dickey, the boys, kind of young, Jimmy Dunn's, Yo's, etc., those guys coming through, Senny and goal, you've got your experience, one or two experienced campaigners, and you add one or two to that, you're in a good position. The boys are, are getting more and more championship experience. People talk to you, you're a fan, Paul, you've watched the championship long enough to know the demands of that division. It is mm. absolutely relentless. And people hear managers use that word and go, yeah, they go again. But it's not... You know, when you have to go away to Huddersfield and you get back at one in the morning and have you prepared well for the game? And you can see we were exhausted against Derby at the end there. You know, yeah. then you, have, you, have, you have players on Ramadan and, and the fasting. You have other players playing with injury and all these various factors, Paul, to come into it. But if we can keep building another year of championship experience, another year of moving better than the previous year, 
keep building expectation in terms of they can see the quality. The boys gain confidence and self-belief, and that's a massive part of it. Do you have the absolute belief that we're good enough to do what we want to we want to achieve? Um, and, and that for me, Paul, should be how we keep on building. And, and what you add, the one, two, three, you don't need wholesale changes. You can't keep on adding 10, 12, 13, 14 players. First year, I think it was 14, 15 we had to do. Second year is 10, 12 players. These are massive changes and players take time to bed in. We were 19th at Christmas, but we were playing well. But it takes mm. time to bed in. And it's no point. Suddenly we click at Norwich and then from there we never look back and at a, at a great 2021. But, you know, we were playing good football up to that. But again, from a manager's point of view, very close to losing my job because had we lost away at Wickham, I think quite rightly I'd have been in trouble, real trouble. But you know the team was playing. And I always refer that Bristol City game where we murdered them. And somehow they had two shots and scored two goals. And you go, wow, but that's football, Paul. But that's that team developing and gaining belief and confidence, knowing each other, trusting each other. Uh, and I think for next season, in answer to your question, that will keep on building, keep the squad together and keep on building all of those factors, and we'll be in a good place. Which is going to be hard, because we've got, I don't know, eight or nine players that are contracting this, up and the other, then you're going to find eight replacements, and you've obviously targeted other players to come in, so there could be that big change again. I like this squad, I like these players, I think they're, they're good, I'd like to see a lot of them stay, obviously it's not in my control, and maybe some of it's not in, in anyone's control, agents play a big role, the club have a role to play, everyone has a role to play, I understand that. But I think it'd be a real shame if this squad got broken up. I mean, you kind of think, well, we're going to lose some players because they get sold and we can't turn down money. We, we, we're realists as well. If someone comes in for 20 million and, and says, Jimmy Dunn and I as chair, the club will probably take it because that's the position yeah, we're that's, that's financially prudent, Paul. Every, mm. you know, I know you hate me when I, I use Brentford as, as an example. You know I hate that. But what I've always admired... Just say Middlesex, somewhere near Chiswick. <laughs> But what I've always admired is the fact that, that Matthew will, will put a value on a player, won't accept mm. a pound less. But if that figure's hit, then it's done. You know, and, and that's it. So the key, I think, for me is, is putting appropriate valuations on our players. So if a player came in for Ilias or Chris or Rob or Senny or Jimmy or any of those guys, Sanfield, what's the level? Yeah, what's the mm. level? Because there's got to be a level that is makes financial sense for QPR. And if that money is then shrewdly reinvested, then you're happy as a supporter. So, you know, Chris Willett was a great bit of business that, you know, whatever it was, well-documented, 700 grand or something. If you if you sell a player for six, seven million and you go and get two Chrissy Willets who might now cost 1.25 each and you spent two and a half and you're still four and a half to the good in terms of the trade or whatever the, the figure mm. may be, then the club's done good business, Paul. So as long as fans see it reinvested and 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 shrewdly invested, then I think they'll accept that. I might be I think wrong there. No, 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 and that's fine. I mean, I I've always said I don't mind. I'd rather have hungry players coming in. I'd rather be able to move players on financially than having to pay them to leave, which is what we were doing for a wee while, and that helps no one because basically you've got bad eggs, the dress room, the disrupt everything, and you having to pay a player off stinks of failure. So. If we're selling them, like Eze and so on, then that's great. And we can bring other players in. And you, you don't. And also then players are going to be 10 out of 10 every week to get a move. And we need to be doing that. But I just kind of look at it and think, so close this season. I know we had the dip and everyone's going to say, well, the substitutions should have been better. This should have been better. The pressure's on. But 
when you're doing a game, what's going through your mind for subs and stuff? Is it sports science? Is it they like picked up a knock? Can you see yeah, things that we can't? What, what you can you can never you got to be very careful as a manager or coach coming across with excuses. It sounds like an excuse, but I am privy to information that you won't have. So, for example, if Lyndon Dykes came back from after seven weeks out, sports science, medical, we all agree that no more than an hour. Any more than that, he goes into fatigue mode and runs a risk of another long-term injury. And then, you, you, you know, he could be having a really good game. You take him off on 61 <coughs> and the boos ring out around the stadium. You know, why are you taking him off? Well, I know. I'm not going to come out and say I know because it sounds like an excuse. But I, I'm, I have that information that you do not have. We can see their data, their running stats, how they're recovering. We have medical tools that tell us they're very high, you know, high risk of injury here. And we have to use those tools. Otherwise, why have them? You know, why have them? So, for example, at Huddersfield, we had tremendous data. Big pitch, of course. But we ran, you know, the highest of all season. You know, some of the players were hitting big, big numbers, Premier League numbers. And you look at it and go, well, someone like Sam Field running 12K plus. Mm. You go, right, is he at risk on the Monday against Derby? Important player. You know, do is the right thing to look after and arrest him. Now, if I said to you as a fan, I'm going to arrest Sam Field, what are you doing? What are you doing in a must-win game? But then you have to balance that with saying, am I exposing a player who's had suffered from injury at the start of the season, had surgery, am I exposing him to more of the same? So, you know, he came through it, touched with ball, all was good. But that's just one example that we see stuff which the fans don't see. We know players that haven't trained well. We know players that might have issues off the field. You know, we lost Moses to a, a recent personal issue. I can't come out in the press and say what it is, but they've got to trust us, the fans. There's a reason why. And it's not through a lack of character or lack of desire by the players, because the, as I said to you, Paul, they're such a good group of players. But sometimes as a manager, what we're looking at, what do we see? Uh, you know, I took, I took Luke Amos off in the game recently. Uproar. But we tried to change the formation and try and have it something different. And Lukey also was running on empty. But the fans don't know that. They don't know that. So, as I say, it's football, it's opinion, Paul. That's part and parcel of it. But they've got to also accept that we know stuff that they don't. It's funny you say that about injuries, because I was talking to Andy Simpson when we were doing a thing the other week. And um, he was saying, of all the games he played, he reckons he was probably fit for 100. I mean, that is incredible. You know, he's talking about injections, he's talking about medicines, tablets, it's something to get through a game, to play a game of football. I I guess in some ways the the game has to protect people now. In the old days, there was an injection in your knee and you see those older players now and and they're crippled. They're crippled, Paul, and that's what I'm saying. I look at it now and uh, someone said to me the other day, uh, all the players 100%? I went, no, none of them. He looked at me as if I was taking the mick. I said, no, no player is ever 100% fit going onto the field. David Weir is a great friend of mine. I've got huge admiration for David. Obviously, an outstanding stellar career. Played till he was 41. But he'll say to you, you're never, you're never 100%. If you can be 85 90%, you're happy and you've had a touch. But there's a strap in or there's something going on or there's some anti-inflammatories being given or something's being done to get you through the game or get you on the pitch. But we have a responsibility, Paul. As you say, look at the old players you see crippled. I remember as a, a kid, I used to listen to the radio and I heard the old Liverpool games on the radio and the old European nights and Kenny Douglas and Tommy Smith. When Tommy Smith used to play and you used to go, quite how hard was Tommy Smith? Oh, how what a rock-solid centre-half. He was up there in the, you know, the, the Ron Harris type of you know, defender. 
And then I read a book a few many years later about Tommy Smith struggling to get out of bed, couldn't walk, couldn't move his hips, his knees. And and you go, is that right? Is it's like the concussion situation now? You hear people say, Oh, they've always headed footballs. Well, when I see a ball in training come whipped in and it's a cold, freezing cold day, and the ball feels about stone heavier, and you see the boys going for set piece training. We have that responsibility. You can't sit there for three hours doing set piece training, Paul. It's not. It's not right for the players. So it's not about um, being soft. It's not that we have a responsibility to the players because they're human beings. So as a, they have to know that we care as well. That's another thing. You know, again, that that guy I told you about that said about the community, one of the best player coaches or coach educators, a guy called Dick Bate, who sadly passed, and he always said something very. Very touching boy. He said, um, "Players don't need to. The players don't care what you know. They need to know that you care." And no. uh, when you think about it, the players need. If you're going to get their trust and their respect, they've got to know that you generally care for them. And that's it. And any manager that doesn't care about his players and squad and the staff, I think you're doomed to fail, Paul. Well, I mean, especially after the the the, the, the heading thing, but the links to dementia and everything else, we all know about. Uh, Jeff Askell and all that sort of thing and, and it, it is a worry but people say well they were leather footballs it was a lot easier but you're right and then people say well they get loads of money but that doesn't mean you've got the right to then run them into the ground either so it, it's it's difficult isn't it and I suppose with financial restraints being what they are and the squad being what it is you've got to rotate players we, we all know that yeah you do and you have to look at it Paul and as I say they hit the data so someone like Sam uh, McCallum for example good game at Huddersfield I thought you know really good game um, now is Lee's fit I might have played Lee in one of the games to give a rest them two games in three days now you saw Sam on Monday putting another I thought excellent in the first half but hit a brick wall in the second half Sam don't mind me saying that in terms of energy along with many other players but it's a massive ask on a young player you know, big big game at Huddersfield big performance comes down big first half hot warm day and you've got to look after the players and that's that rotation and fans go why have you dropped in why have you rested mm. him? You know, and it's out, uproar, outrage, but it's not. And sometimes, as I say, they've got to trust us. And we can where we do. Use yourself, Paul, using the press conference and media. You try and get a message out there sometimes. There's a reason, gents, why we're doing this. But also, you can't give your team away. So on a Friday, no. when I'm asked, everyone fit? Yep. Or I say, there's a few we're looking at. Like who? What do you think I'm going to tell your team? Because I scour the internet to see if you're so-and-so fit for, you know, for Preston or so-and-so playing for Cardiff or you look and see who's fit and not well. And we do all, that's all part and parcel of the game, Paul. So you keep your cars, cars close to your chest. But I can't reveal too much. But at the same time, these boys go through. They're never 100%. We've got to look after them. We have that responsibility. I, I know we're not you personally, but we're, we're conscious of time and stuff like that. I don't want to keep... Because I can talk a long time, Mark. I don't know if you know this, but I could probably talk for... Well, I, I don't mind talking football, but I'm conscious I've got this other one to go to, but I'll happily come back to you as well, don't forget. No, so, no worries. Well, I'm just going to end it in a second before you go to this other one, and, and that, which is fine. And thank you for your time, Mark, by the way. Because so, let's just let people know, I asked for this interview. I was like, the club haven't said, you've got to do this, we've got to explain things and, and, and put one side of it over... I'm just trying to let fans make up their own mind, listen to what you're saying, digest it, and we'll go with that. But what, what are you hoping for for next season, Mark? And what what what's your thoughts on this season, just to wrap up? I think we need to try and finish as strong as we possibly can, Paul. I think without being negative, if we can finish higher than last year's points total, higher league position, we're moving in the right direction in a very tough league. 
keep the squad together. And then it's about the additions. Then it's about the, the, what we can do in the summer in terms of recruitment to add the one or two to this squad. I mean, if it comes down that you have to sell one and it's the right price for the club, well, then as we discussed earlier, it's financially prudent, Paul. But the club, uh, the, the boys are building, you know, they're getting better. There's so much more development still to come from them. That belief is building, confidence is building. The fans can see that as well, I hope. And the fans in general have been magnificent this season. You know, the atmosphere at the end on, on Monday was, was outstanding, Paul. So, you know, they've got to see, they've got to have confidence and they've got to enjoy watching their team play and have that belief that the team can keep on getting better. And I hope very much they've seen enough this season so that's the case. Have we got to learn from the blips and what we did? Did we rotate well? Did we have the right the bodies in place in the squad? Could we have added more depth? Should we have changed something? That's part and parcel of the learning, Paul. But I hope that the fans, I have enjoy it, enjoy watching the team play, and B, can see improvement, and C, have the belief that next season can be even better. Well, Mark, listen, thank you for your time. I do appreciate it. And you've, you've given your time a lot this season. I do appreciate that as well. That's and hopefully we can, have, we can have these chats next season when we're top of the league. Maybe not have so many London derbies because they've all freaking gone up the buggers. And um, we can just um, have a better, not a better season. This season's been good. And good luck for us. Because you never know. There's still hope. With his dreams, there's hope. Post, if you can post 72, let's see where it takes us, Paul. And as I say, always good to talk to you anytime. More than welcome. Good man, Mark. You look after yourself and take man, care. Paul, I'll speak to you soon. Yeah.